from Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. Hear now God's holy word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would give me clarity and boldness as I proclaim your word now. I pray that you would help us to be attentive and open in our hearing and receptive in our hearts to hear your word. Help us to receive it as it really is the very word of God. Would you train us and instruct us and encourage us now? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Christ Jesus, we have been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God has delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So what now? What is the culture of this kingdom into which we have put? How must the citizens of this kingdom live? Well, in short, it is a kingdom of love. But it's a particular kind of love. What, this kingdom is wholly different from the world because the love of this unshakable kingdom is wholly different from the love of the world. The world only knows a selfish and a self-serving love, but the love of this unshakable kingdom, the kingdom of our Savior Jesus Christ, is the love of the King. It is a self-sacrificing love for one another. And the fact that this kingdom is marked by love shouldn't surprise us because God is love and he expresses his giving love in every one of his persons of the Godhead. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be a sacrifice for our sins. The son revealed that love. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He willingly gave his life for the sheep. And the spirit of God works that same self-sacrificing love in God's people. Jesus said, by this people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said there's no greater love than for someone to lay down his life for his friends. Or John, the apostle John put it a different way. He said, if anyone says they love God but hates his brother, he is a liar. Because anyone who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot 
Love God who he has not seen. Love is the marker of this kingdom. Self-sacrificial love is the definitive characteristic of this unshakable kingdom. So last week we considered the acceptable worship of our God in the gathered worship of God's people. But all of life is to be lived as acceptable worship before our God. We are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is our spiritual worship, Paul says. And we worship our God through our sacrificial love for one another. And that's what the passage focuses on today, is that citizens of Christ's unshakable kingdom must live with kingdom love, the love of Christ. This kingdom is marked by this unique bond of love. And for us who belong to Zion Presbyterian Church, please pay attention because this culture must mark Zion, this little outpost of the kingdom of our Savior. This love must mark each and every one of us. This is how we are called to live before our King and our Savior. So this passage has five different love commands, and each one of them reveals, manifests, bears witness to some aspect of this love of Christ for his people. And that is what we will look at now. First, kingdom love is brotherly, is brotherly. It says, let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love is affectionate, it is unifying, and it is abiding. Uh, brotherly love was considered to be one of the strongest of bonds that a person could have. Brothers were united with the bond of a family, with all the benefits therein, the same parents, the same possessions, the same upbringing. We're given that same brotherly love. God in his grace in Christ Jesus has given us adoption into his family. He has turned his affections toward us in an eternal sense and has purposed to adopt us so that we are his children. His son gave himself to give us the right to become children of God. And his spirit dwells in us and enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. We have fellowship with God himself in his family. But that same spirit binds us together as a family. It makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And God's purpose for his children is that they would demonstrate and live out brotherly love. It would be defining of their love. Notice that it says, let brotherly love continue. We're not, we don't create brotherly love. That has been created for us. It's been given to us. Even that spirit of sonship unites us. But we are to protect it and make sure that, it preserve, that we preserve it. Because our sinful love threatens to undo it. Worldly love is destructive. Worldly love is only self selfish 
and self-serving and sinful. It seeks to destroy any unity that we might have. It wants what it wants. When it doesn't get what it wants, it's willing to cast aside any relationship that stands in its way. It is demanding of its own way. It uh, is impatient at differences. It grumbles and complains as it covets something better. It allows bitterness to destroy fellowship. And such is the worldly love that is our nature. It's in every one of us, and yet we must pursue the brotherly love that has been given to us. True brotherly love is the love of our true brother, Jesus Christ. It is a love that is self-sacrificing. It is a love that denies itself, that doesn't consider uh, its own interests, but the interests of one another. It is a love that is patient and kind. It is a love that is not arrogant or rude. It is. It doesn't insist on its own way. It doesn't envy or boast. It is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This is true brotherly love. This is the love that must continue and endure among us. So brothers and sisters, uh, what does your what kind of love does your life bear witness to? What are the patterns of worldly self-serving love that you need to put to death? And where do you need to put on the self-sacrificial love of Christ, the one who gave himself for you? Second mark of this kingdom love is uh, kingdom love is hospitable. Hospitable. It is welcoming and inviting. Verse 2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Notice that he assumes the Spirit assumes there will be hospitality among the brothers. He doesn't command us to show hospitality to one another. That is part of that brotherly love and affection that we would have as brothers and sisters in Christ. But he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. As if he says, when you practice hospitality, don't neglect the strangers. Because in this kingdom, we are hospitable. We are welcoming. And friends, don't forget that you were once a stranger. You were once apart from God's grace. You were without hope, without a family, without a people. And yet God, in his love, pursued after you. He opened up his home to you. He's given you a seat at his table to nourish you and to love you. And this spirit is the spirit of the kingdom. And it has to be reflected in the members of the kingdom. We must be hospitable and welcoming to one another. And what's more, he, he doesn't stop there. He actually promises a blessing 
He says, uh, don't neglect to show hospitality but to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This is no doubt a reference to the angelic visit to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham and Sarah were in their tent and three men ar- uh, arrived at the tent. And uh, Abraham and Sarah practiced Eastern hospitality. Abraham got out a bowl of water to wash their feet. Sarah made some bread. Abraham slaughtered a calf. And Scripture tells us that those three men were the Lord and two angels. Now, the Spirit isn't telling us to expect that every person that comes into our house is some kind of angelic being. In fact... It's much better than that, even if it isn't. Because angels, friends, you might remember, are servants. They're those who are serving, ministering to those who are to inherit salvation. We, beloved, people are made in the image of God. If we are in Christ, we have the spirit of our brother in us. There is a unique and glorious distinction of God's people. What he is telling us to expect is that those who host others and seek to bless others through hospitality will be blessed in a greater measure than the ones who actually do the host or receive the, the, the invitation. Because those three visitors were the ones that came and told Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would soon have the promised child, Isaac. She would soon give birth. Abraham and Sarah practiced hospitality, but the blessing they received was far greater than what they gave to those three people. And so, beloved, we ought to practice hospitality. The Lord promises to bless us as we do. The third mark of this kingdom love is that kingdom love remembers. It remembers. says verse 3, it says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Remember those who are in prison. This is specifically those who are in prison for the sake of their faith. And we are to remember them. Isn't it easy for someone to be out of sight and out of mind when they are separated from the body. But God in his love says, exercise love for your brother by remembering those who you are apart from. And this remembering is not simply a, oh, i got to not forget, but it is a pursuit in love. Uh, Early Christians would actually... Uh, do what they could to provide food or other um, necessities to their brothers and sisters who were in prison. And some of them even would manage to stay with them in prison to keep them company, to, to keep that fellowship going. These, those brothers and sisters weren't simply loving them and remembering them as if they were in prison with them. They were actually, actually literally with them in prison. And the exhortation to us is the same, is to, to be considering how can we love 
and remember those who are apart from the body. And those who are mistreated, again, those, are, those who are mistreated as a result of their faith. And, beloved, I think that as Christianity, as the, the gospel becomes less popular in our culture, we can expect that the church will be mistreated with greater frequency. We might be mistreated in the workplace or in our neighborhoods or in our schools or there may come a day where brothers and sisters are imprisoned for their faith or mistreated physically as they are for brothers and sisters in other countries. But let me ask you this. If that was tomorrow, if that happened tomorrow, would you be prepared to remember your brothers and sisters in prison or as they were mistreated? Would you be prepared to suffer with them? Or would you forget? Would you let somebody else remember them? Or let me put it another way. Have you already forgotten your brothers and sisters who are still here? Or are you seeking to love them and care for them with the bonds of love in this fellowship. We must not forget. We must remember. The fourth mark of this kingdom love is it, is, it protects the loving witness of marriage. It protects the loving witness of marriage. Verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Culturally, they may have held brotherly affections as the highest or the most intimate of relationships, but biblically, marriage is the most fundamental and most intimate of human relationships. God has created marriage as a reflection of his love for the church. And he says, uh, um, let marriage be held in honor among all. That is referring specifically to all in the church. We as a, as a church must hold it in honor. But as we are salt and light in the midst of our, their culture, we must uphold the honor and dignity and value of marriage in the culture, regardless of how unpopular it may be. And I think there's three practical ways that we can honor God, marriage. The first is to proclaim loudly what marriage is and what it means. Marriage is an institution created by God, defined by God, and not subject to redefinition by man. God has set apart marriage as an inviolable, unbreakable union between one man and one woman until death. It is designed to be a visible picture of the love of Christ for his church. That is what God says it is. We must uphold and proclaim that as true. Second, uh, we honor marriage by promoting marriage as a, uh, a relationship that God encourages us toward, all of God's people toward. It is true that some people are called to singleness, but not most, not most. Marriage requires self-sacrifice. Marriage proclaims self-sacrifice. 
But very often, marriage is avoided for selfish or immature reasons. And you hear it in our language. Well, I want to live my life first, and then maybe I'll settle down and get married. And the statistics bear out that culturally. Over the past 50 years, the median age in the United States for the first marriage of an individual has gone up over seven years. Meaning, in 1970, the median age for a man to get married was 23 years old. Now it's over 30. For a woman, it was under 21. Now it's 28. May that never be the case in the church, beloved. God has given us the value he has honored marriage. It is a valuable institution. It is a reflection of the love of Christ for the church. It teaches us every day how to sacrifice for another. And it bears witness to that love. I've heard a number of fathers of, women, of young ladies lament how there are a lack of godly and mature men who are suitable for marrying their daughters we as a community can honor marriage by promoting marriage and training our young men and women to be godly and mature future spouses who can love with a sacrificial love and bear witness to the love of Christ through their marriages. And third, um, we honor marriage by bearing witness in our marriages to the love of Christ by how we live our marriage. And we can see that three ways. First is through insisting on purity, insisting on reserving and esteeming sexual intimacy for the place God has intended it. God has intended sexual intimacy solely for the bounds of a married relationship, an inviolable relationship between one man and one woman. It's not a matter of preference. It is not a matter of biological need. This is God's design, and this is his intent. The Lord Jesus Christ is the great lover, the great bridegroom, and he loves his bride with a pure and unadulterated love. His heart beats solely for her, and that must be reflected in our marriages and it's very important because he says um, we must, the, the marriage bed must be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. This is serious business. But it's not just purity, but also intimacy. Because it, once in marriage, sexual intimacy is encouraged. In fact, it's commanded, isn't it, beloved? I mean, that's what 1 Corinthians 7 says. He says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Beloved, marriage reveals the intimacy and passion of our Savior for his bride. We need to reveal that. Married couples, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
Are you putting your spouse in a position where he or she may be tempted? How can you sacrificially love each other in this way? And then thirdly, uh, the third thing is reflecting the commitment of this relationship. The commitment of this relationship. Jesus has said to his church, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And isn't that what we profess in our marriage vows? It's true that biblically there are Two, permissible grounds for divorce, but divorce is never required. We as a community and we as individuals need to uphold our marriages. We need to promote and strengthen strong marriages. We need to encourage and build up the weak marriages to demonstrate this commitment between Christ and his church. Fifth and final command, this uh, aspect of kingdom love that we are given is content. Kingdom love is content. It's actually a command to not love something. He says, keep in verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And then he gives this reason, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is actually emphatic. He says, I will never, ever leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. No way, ever. That's kind of an interesting reason. Keep yourself free from the love of money, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. And beloved, this is actually one of the most fundamental battles in our hearts. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either he will love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other, you cannot serve God and money or God and mammon. And the heart of it is really not too different from what we've already been talking about. Money promises. It's not we love money because money is anything in and of itself. It's the promise of what money gives us. Money gives us power. Money gives us the ability to get what we want. It's the self to please ourselves with our own sense of control. But a love of God is a contented love in God. In God loving God is a yielding. It's saying, I'm going to trust that God is going to give me what I need. And when God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, he's saying, I will be everything to you. I will give you everything that you need. I will care for you abundantly. In fact, you know, money promises great things, but there are great perils. Uh, Paul told Timothy, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So let me ask you, do you have a love of money that you need to repent of? And Here's a simple test to evaluate your heart. Where is your true trust? Do you honestly believe that if you lost your job, if you had no money in the bank, that you would have everything that you need? 
If your entire retirement savings was wiped away, would you have everything you need for the rest of your life? Is it your money and your job that truly provides for you? Or is it the Lord? God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Has your, has your money ever said that? Has your job ever said that? God has promised that he will be with us. And, and what's more is this love of money crowds out everything else. It is a constant pursuit. There's this, a story of a Greek uh, ruler king named Pyrrhus who had this friend named Sinius. Uh, and uh, Pyrrhus was getting ready to attack Rome. And Sinius said to him, well, what are you going to do after you attack and defeat Rome? He said, well, then I will conquer and attack, all, uh, attack and conquer all of Italy. He's like, okay, well, once you conquer all of Italy, what do you do? Well, I will attack Africa and Carthage. Okay, very good. Well, what after you do that? What if you, once you conquer everything, what will you do then? And he said, well, we, then we will be quiet we will take our ease, we will feast every day, we will be merry with one another as much as we possibly can. And Sinius says, well, what prevents you from doing that now? What prevents you from being merry and taking your ease and enjoying all these things now without the bloodshed, without the travel and the risks and all those other things? Why can we not do that now? And beloved, that is the thing about the love of money. Its blessings are always a little bit further than we can reach. It's like the carrot is just beyond our arm's length. But God promises himself now. He promises the fullness of his blessings now. He promises satisfaction and rest now. We must be content Kingdom love loves God as the faithful and secure provider. And we know this, beloved, because Jesus showed us this. He was the one who had all of heaven's riches. And he came and he took a life of poverty and suffering. And he was content. And he lived that life of contentedness so that he could give us true and eternal and unshakable riches. He uh, endured violence to his body in a shameful and unjust way so that we could run to our God as a strong and sure refuge. And he was forsaken by the Father so that he could say, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And he did all this, brothers and sisters, as he said, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give it all to you. <laughs> Beloved, our, our safety, our security is not in all the wealth of the world. It is in the unshakable kingdom that we've already been given. So, friends, this is the culture of this unshakable kingdom, this, this kingdom that, we, that is ours. Uh, it, is, it is costly, but it is worth all the cost. The, world, the world's culture is cheap 
It is shallow. It is disposable. There is no true commitment. There is no true intimacy. There is no true fellowship. There is no true security. But beloved, God has given you his unshakable kingdom. And that kingdom is marked by the unshakable love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God offers you in his kingdom a family where love remains and deepens. He offers you true intimacy, true fellowship, true security. It's promised. It is ours. It is there where the members commit to one another sacrificially. It's beautiful. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. That can only be ours here if you practice it. If you and I practice this kingdom love. This is the kingdom love to which we are called. We all want to be loved that way. I mean, I know I want to be loved that way. But kingdom love commits to one another and sacrifices for the sake of one another. Hear, hear this clearly. You will never, never experience the love and commitment and community that you long for unless you are willing to give it and practice it for your brothers and sisters. I mean, look again at the commands. It doesn't say be loved, be welcomed into each other's homes, be, be remembered. It says you love. You don't neglect to show hospitality. You remember. Brothers and sisters, worldly love says this is what I want. I'm going to open up wide. You fill me. And if all, every one of us lived like that, what kind of community would this be? It would be no community at all. Or to put it another way, it would be no different from the world. But friends, kingdom love gives, sacrifices. The Spirit works through us to bless one another. That is what we have been delivered. We have been delivered from that self-centered love to this selfless love, which we must live for the sake of one another. Picture with me, what if you and I and every one of us here loved with that kind of love, sacrificed for one another, practiced these things? Oh, what a wonderful community this church would be, beloved. How loved each and every one of us would feel what a rich legacy we would lead, we would leave for our future generations, and what a wonderful witness we would give to the world. It would be beautiful. So you have to ask yourself, how will you live in this kingdom that has been given to you? Can you, can you love with this kind of love? Citizens of this kingdom take action with self-sacrificial love. Can you do it? Will you do it? Because if you cannot do it, or you will not do it, I urge you to ask the question, do you really love God? 
Are you really in Christ? That's what John said. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. The Spirit of Christ works this love, this kind of love, in God's people. And beloved, if that if that is where you find yourself now, I urge you to repent of that and to receive the love, the giving love of our God who gives you his son, who gives you his spirit to love your brothers and sisters sacrificially. Consider that love and receive it and give your time and your energy and your thoughts for your brothers and sisters. I, I know some of us have more time and energy than others, but make time. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Lay down your life for your friends. Our witness as a body to each other and to the world depends upon it. Cultivate this kingdom community because this is how your king commands you to live. Jesus said, by this, by this, will all people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, all people will know that we are grateful for having received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What will people know about Zion Presbyterian Church? What will people know about you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and your kindness to us. Thank you that you encourage us and you build us up for the sake of your glory. Oh, Father, we can't do any of what we just talked about apart from your grace. But thank you that you give us your spirit. Build this community in and among us. Use us to love one another well. We cling to the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.